All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 271 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gill, admin on the KISS FAQ message board. I'm f- to blame for everything you don't like about the cesspool. Not really, but if it makes you feel better, I'm okay with it. Um, today, I'm joined by Marcus Almighty. Mark. Hello. Daniel Wheeze. Hello. And uh, you'll probably figured out what we're going to be talking about in a in a few minutes but let's just cover some of the news that's going on there's a fair bit to get through this week uh it shouldn't take too long first up tom let's make you number one today uh rockologist announcement coming october the 12th i think that's american style dating because otherwise it's december the 10th so october the 12th go over to the rockologist kiss archives facebook group i think you have to join in order to read anything there but they have a little bit of a hint that's circulating about what will be coming i'm going to assume that it's vinyl and uh, i'm going to hope that it's vinyl because that of course is always a good thing next up there's a new book coming out. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Oh. And I didn't write it. But then again, yeah. I, I was flipping through it, and I did find I did write part of it, which is really hilarious. Isn't it the, is, is, is it the same guy who wrote the Eric Carr book? It is. Greg Prado? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Really cool guy. Does a, a lot of books. Take it off. Kiss Truly Unmasked, which uh, let me just pull up the Amazon page. Uh, yeah, Take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked is coming out on November the 19th. You can pre-order over on Amazon and presumably many other booksellers of quality. The great thing about this book is that it covers the unoriginals era. So 1983 to, oh, I think okay. this this goes into the reunion, So because the section I wrote was about Unplugged. So it's got interviews. It's got pontifications by personalities. Eddie Trunk's in there. Don't slam your fist on the desk when I say Eddie's name. He's a supporter of that era. Um, read it and then bitch about it. And there's a, a lot of samples that you can read on the Amazon page. Uh, I'll be doing a little bit more promo on this one because I think it's really worthwhile. Uh, Kurt Gooch has contributed tour synopsises. Um because obviously there is a lot of touring going on. They're very succinct, very well done. I was impressed <laughs> by that. Greg's stuff and interviews with people like Ron Nevison, Bruce Kulick, Mitch Weissman uh, are just a few that roll off the top of my head through my, my quick glance through this. So for those of us who were fans in the 80s or became fans in the 80s, it's a really great and concise. Uh, it's not going to bludgeon you to death like one of mine. Um, you know, going into who was tuning the piano in the studio next to the studio that was planned to be the studio that they were recording in. It's, it doesn't go that deep, but it goes deep enough that I think you're going to get something good out of it, something entertaining. So uh, check it out. You'll probably see Greg doing the rounds on a lot of shows, um, in magazines, on online uh, to talk more about it. But of course, as you mentioned, he did the Eric Carr book which honored someone who's, you know, often forgotten about in kind of the mainstream KISS remembrances as we go forward. So, um, other news. Daniel just walked off. Uh, Destroyer Resurrected is getting a reissue, apparently. Uh, if you go over onto Walmart, there's a Walmart exclusive coming out uh, November the 28th in orange vinyl. 
and I can see Mark getting all giddy about another copy of Destroyer already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Extremely excited. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't think they had a price listed on this yet, but uh, November the 28th, that will be coming out. And finally, from the secret, secret Vinnie Vincent group, here's the big news of the day about the uh, the next bash in December. Um, this time Boy. he's going to have the food catered because Ooh. the food prep was so time-consuming for the birthday bash, he's going to go all in this time. There's really no news from Vinny, uh, but I just thought that was kind of giggly, you know, food catering, <laughs> shredding, you know, you know, get the lettuce out, shred it, you know. All right. So uh, any additions to your collections recently or anything that you just want to chime in on before I go into my next monologue? Uh, I haven't bought anything, but there's things obviously that have caught my eye that I want to get. I mean, you know. I'm curious to see what the rockologist thing is going to be because, you know, he always has some interesting things to show or to release. Uh, but you know me, I'm looking, I'm keeping my eyes open for any kind of, you know, King Crimson box in which they did just release one now. And I'm hoping to get my hands on that eventually, but I haven't bought anything new. I've been so consumed with my, with the mixing in my record, which is half done. I'm pleased to announce. So very soon it will be done. And I got good news yesterday. The guy who helps me with my graphic arts, he was kind of in a situation where he wasn't able to help out because he was kind of strapped with something. But he is unstrapped and is able to come in full barrel to finish the record with me. So I'm very excited about that. Was that the chap who did your center rings on your last one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Because those looked absolutely excellent. Very high quality. Good. Good Good news, Mark, that you know things are progressing. I've, I see that you went for – did you do your car test with those first three mixes yesterday? And how did that go? Oh, it went, honestly, it was one of those rare times where I was honestly in shock because usually it takes, you know, a couple of, <clears throat> a couple of times to, you know, mix it and do a couple of adjustments and this and that. But it was, it turned out really good and I was very happy. I had to re-listen to it again just to make sure I wasn't just hearing things. So uh, it's going good and I have a very, very good feeling about this record. More, I had more so a good feeling this than any of the other prior ones, to be honest. Very cool. Daniel, how about you? Have you added anything into your collection? Do you have anything that you've noticed online that you've enjoyed Kiss-wise since the last time we spoke? Because we don't have you on often enough. I think the the only thing I've added, I haven't received it yet, is actually uh, a back patch with Asylum. You remember those you yes. had on the back of your Which jacket. I had. Yeah. That was mine yeah. on my jean jacket. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it was, it was only a few bucks. I got it online, but I'm still waiting for it. But uh, it was when I was prepping for, for this uh, show, uh, I looked at some some objects and uh, I, I bought that one. Yeah, you got yeah, that patch as well, like didn't you? That, but, but, but this one is like, I don't know, yeah. five. Yeah, this is, this, is like a, this is like a you know, one that you put on other spots on the sleeve or whatever, right? Yeah. The smaller one, right? Exactly. I actually, love that. Thing. Actually, it was more that size that I had for Asylum. It was a blue-black uh, background with just the guys from the back cover on the patch with a red yeah. Kiss logo above it. So, yeah. you know, it bought it in England in, yeah. like, 88. Like this, is, this is like that the pose, cover of yeah. the album. Like the cover of the album with with a logo. Yeah, my my back patch it, was the yeah. album cover itself. Yeah. I remember the splotches so going the across it. Yeah, people used yeah. to look at me in my jean jacket. I had that that back patch obviously on there, and like next to it would be Public Image Limited, and you know then Ramones and mm -hmm. Judas Priest, and yeah, I wish I still had that jacket, but it, it got 
set on fire, sadly. I know. I wish I had my old jean jacket, too. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great segue in today's today's topic, which is going to be the Asylum album uh, ranking by three people who hate the album. Obviously, that's my original 1985 cassette. That is the first. Uh, I still ki- have it. Cool. The first Kiss thing I ever bought. So. Which color wow. is the the cassette? Mine was black. Mine, uh, mine. Oh, is... oh yeah. mine looked way better. <laughs> no, this it was is... a black one. No, 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 no. That, that's looked like. This yeah. is fantastic because I was mm-hmm. always impressed that it was cobalt encapsulated tape. I thought that made uh, it sound really impressive as to what it was. <laughs> but it's also I'm a I was a cassette collecting geek and it was always this media that i love to try and get all the kiss releases in because it was the polygram uh was like embossed on there in the plastic and they were all the same design so you know Mm. back in the day obviously cassettes were made in different plants just like records were yeah it's pretty cool i listened to the joe rogan podcast he had rob zombie on it was a great episode and and zombie mentioned that they still sold like a few hundred thousand cassettes, new material in America to this day. I don't know who buys it, but uh, till to this day. Okay, you buy new material on cassette, both of you. No, yeah. I, I actually, the last new cassette I bought was Metallica, um, yeah, their, their, 19, their 1982 demo, but I have bought new cassettes. Um, that was when they officially oh, wow. re released it for it Record Store Day. But I did not buy the Motley Crue 30th anniversary cassette. I did not buy Metallica's 598 EP on cassette. I'm not that much of. Um, <laughs> of yeah, but I still, I think they sound so. Uh, the other uh, way of listening to music is sounds way better. Yeah. So my so, my Asylum cassette came with an ad for Animalize uncensored. So. Um, that, that was very cool. So let's get into our stories about Asylum. For anyone who doesn't remember what we've said about Asylum in the past, um, I'm just, I'm just going to go first since I'm already talking. Yeah. And obviously this was my first Kiss album. This was the album that made me a Kiss fan. I remember going down to, I was living in Binghamton at the time and went down to Vestal Plaza to the Kmart on my birthday, and bought this tape and Motley Crue's Theater of Pain, which were really my first proper heavy metal tapes. I mean, I don't, I think, Pyromania and Quiet Riot Metal Health uh, prior to that. But this was when I went all in with rock and metal, which, for both of those, if you remember what the singles were, Tears Are Falling for Kiss, and was it Smoking in the Boys' Room for... Motley Crue were very different than their very their heavier past. So I came in with a little bit more of a poppy rock um, kind of like of music at the time. I mean, Twist's sister was in heavy rotation on MTV, so it wasn't super heavy music. Quiet Riot and you know Def Leppard weren't super heavy, and I was a fan of. Duran Duran and Men at Work and that sort of stuff. So that was my entry into the world of Kiss, strictly because of this video showing on MTV. I loved that video then. I love it to this day. And I'm a firm believer that if Kiss could do a cruise with that as the stage set, it would be absolutely awesome. Not necessarily with the costumes, but I think it'd be really cool looking. So that was my entry into Kiss and into the insanity that's lasted 34 years. Um, 
and I'll never hear a bad word said about it. You can say bad words all you want. I don't hear it. I just, you know, we, we mock people who go on podcasts and say they love feeling like they were 13 years old again. Well, you know what? I like feeling like I'm 14 years again, 14 years old. It really takes me back to a happier time. And before I knew anything about the band, ignorance was bliss when it was just about the music. Daniel, Asylum, your story. Well, for me, it was um, first off, I heard Heavens on Fire, and then I wanted to get my hands on some albums. And my mother bought me Asylum and Animal Eyes on cassette on the same day. So that was my... I'm sorry, my kids are here and <laughs> trying to be nice, serving me coffee all the time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now you have to. Now you have to go. You must have watched it. Yeah. So, um, um, where was I? Yeah, I got those two albums, and that video was a big part as well. They showed it on Swedish television, but I didn't have a VCR even at that point. So I remember recording it with my like, what's, what do you call it? Uh, a boom, uh, what's boom the name? Box. Yeah, like a boombox sort of thing. Yeah. So I recorded from the TV to the boombox, and that was all I had for a while. Um, but then I got the two albums, and I remember those two albums and Stay Hungry from Twisted Sister. I love those albums, and like it is for you, Julian. To this day, I, I still enjoy them. And Asylum is. Uh, stands out for me but because it's almost the only studio album from Kiss where I can listen all the way through it without skipping a track. Uh, even some of the early albums, there are always one or two stinkers like Love Theme from Kiss and uh, a few others. But this one I can listen through. And I had a hard time picking favorites. Uh, even though I did the list this uh, afternoon and now I want to change it because... Uh, I like those. So, I mean, they they are so close. I like them all. They like seven, eight, nine, ten points for almost every song on the album. So uh, that was the way I got into Asylum and the way I got into Kiss. And I still got goosebumps when I see that video, <laughs> especially the first part where Paul turns around. You know that effect that ha they had when he turned around. Uh, when I see this today, to this day, I remember how cool I, I, I thought it looked back in the day. So it, it takes me back. But the other two videos they did from that album, not so much. But the, but the Tears of Falling video was great. So let me ask you about Sweden circa 1985. Where did you guys consume your music from? You said you saw it on uh, Swedish TV. What sort yeah. of shows were there that were showing music and were they mixing pop and rock and all the the sorts of different things so that you had to wait around for your section of interest to come in on the program or were there specific shows that you're watching or magazines that you were buying um to for your music at this point there were two tv channels in sweden two <laughs> no internet nothing so uh there wasn't a lot uh but they had a program, I don't even remember the name of it, which uh, aired new music. And at this point of time, hard rock was uh, one of the most popular genres. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's that interview, yeah. But uh, so when they showed music, hard rock was always a part of it. I mean, Kiss, Twisted Sister, Wasp got a lot of coverage over here. 
and a few other bands. So you could see it from time to time on television. Uh, I remember uh, D. Snyder understood that Sweden was a big market, so he was over here doing interviews and being a part of the show and stuff like that because uh, that album sold like well over a million copies in Sweden, Stay Hungry album. Um, so you, you could see them from time to time, not very often. Mm. Fortunately, my friend had a VCR and managed to tape that that segment so we could watch it all, over and over again, the video. Um, when it comes to magazines, I'm sure you've heard of the OK magazine. Uh, and that was the way you, you got news. Yeah, that's a few years earlier. I think it's the Lick It Up era. Yeah, that's a really silly interview. I mean, the interviews are so bad. <laughs> I have some kid interviewing him. Yeah. But um, Kiss was big at this point, probably bigger than they had ever been before. Because, you know, it took a while before the rest of the world outside America uh, understood the Kiss phenomenon. And uh, so, like 83, 84, and maybe 85, they were huge over here. Um, and uh, really popular, and the OK magazine covered them a lot. So uh, almost every issue you, you, from uh, of that magazine, you, you had a, an interview or, or a tour report or something. And a few years later on, I got a hold of the fan magazines from America and Canada, and that was the real interesting stuff. Because, you know, the, the articles in those OK magazines, they were nice, but the... the uh, the one who uh, came up with the OK magazine, that came up with the idea, he was uh, formerly a producer of like soft porn. So he, he liked to have uh, good-looking guys, good-looking girls, a lot of colors, uh, big posters. Um, I don't know how they could sell that magazine to to young kids because you know there were pictures of Samantha Fox without anything on and stuff like that. So. That's how, they could sell it to, that's how they could sell it to the young kids. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It should be some sort of, because I remember I had a, I had a, like, um, I, I bought that with my parents and I couldn't have been more than like 10 years old. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think they did know what was in it really. But um, fortunately, I, I, I could buy it. And so it's kind of a cool magazine. They had a lot of great photos. Uh, and to this day, some of those sessions are used in, in other uh, books and so on, so so they had a f- quite a few good photos from 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 that era, and a lot of posters with Kiss and stuff like that. And of course, earlier on, you had the uh, poster magazine. Oh, what was it called? Was it called Poster? Uh, yeah, it was it called Poster, poster but that was poster, earlier. Believe, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was uh, earlier. It was more of the makeup era. But okay, it's a cool magazine. So that was what you had, the OK Magazine and uh, uh, the two TV channels, and that was it. Uh, Then you had to work your way uh, into um, other channels of information, and that's it was good for me because I started reading lots of English at an early age, and that helped me a little bit to understand the language and so on. Very cool. Well, thank you for, you know, just, I always love the opportunity to dig into someone's, you know, like non-American or British kind of environment. With this podcast, it's almost the only one with 
uh, a lot of different views. You know, yesterday we have Canada, Britain, and uh, Sweden and America in in, in one uh, heap here. So uh, it's cool. I'll go and try to find an OK magazine that I can show you a little bit. Yeah, because I mean, you were you were lucky. I mean, countries like Japan with Music Life, Germany had some great rock magazines. OK, yeah. of, of course, was a fantastic one. Um, and later for Britain, Kerrang! Uh, kind of came into yeah. the picture, taking over from the Melody Makers and Record Mirrors and all that. So, you know, in, in the States, where I was living at the time, of course, Circus and Hit Parade were kind of it. And compared to all those other international mags, you can't hold a candle. The international rock coverage was way better than what Hit Parade and Circus was. Mark, you've sat patiently. You've been, uh, for anyone who's wondering why Mark's been quiet, well, we've been talking, uh, but he's been also uh, going through the videos. So if you've been listening to this, you did, you missed everything. Mark put great effort into showing you, uh, but he, went, he he was contributing while we were monologuing. Mark, give us your asylum story from Canada. Well, um, early on, as you know, I was introduced to Kiss through my older sister, and uh, I had seen numerous, uh, you know, different uh, things about Kiss through her, whether it's posters or you know, things like that, that she would have in her possession. But uh, Asylum, I remember because I had gotten before a couple of years back, I picked up the Lick It Up single. They had a little, you know, seven inch here in Canada. And I bought it. I remember buying it and bringing it home, listening to it. And I was, you know, digging it. And then, you know, not much longer after there was a Asylum finally came out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I liked it when I was, you know, I was about, 12 at that time when it came out and you know i remember digging it and stuff like that but then after a while you know kiss for me kind of disappeared for a while and i started getting into numerous other bands and uh in the late 90s well not in the late 90s but in the early 90s cor- correction in the early 90s i started uh playing with a few other guys in this band and one of my friends was a diehard kiss fan like he had everything possible in his house like it was unbelievable even in his living room he had the kiss unmasked poster on his wall you know that's how diehard it is you know the wife couldn't say anything to him about you know decor in the house it was all up to him so uh he he had all this stuff there and one night we went to go to jam and for the first time in a long time he had put on asylum so it was like a reintroduction to me at that time again. And I remembered when I started listening to it again, just how fantastic, <laughs> just how fantastic that uh, album actually was. And uh, I, I've always been a big fan of this record. I think it's one of the few Kiss records that I think I can listen to numerous times, like forward to end. I, I love it. I love everything about it. I love the, guitar soloing on it i love the production on it i think paul sings fantastically and honestly uh and you'll see from my selection of the songs of how i rank them this is one of the rare kiss records where i actually find that some of gene's songs are not so bad on this record especially considering it's a non-makeup album usually kiss uh, usually kiss records that are non-makeup gene doesn't perform very well uh so um (laughs) Yeah, I don't think anybody will object to that picture, Daniel. So, um, but yeah, I, I really dug that record. And just to show my love of it in another example, I'm a vinyl collector, much like you guys are as well. And uh, the ones, the records I like the most, I have multiple variations of. And the one 
like I have like a live, I have like about, you know, seven different variations, but Asylum, believe it or not, I have about 11 different variations of this record just because of my love of it. And I've always said it's my favorite non-makeup album. And in the overall ranking of Kiss records, it's number three overall for me for favorite record. So I, I really love Asylum. No, that, that's excellent. And I think that's a great lead into our rankings. And of course, anyone who's joined us for our rankings know that we completely plagiarized the Lipstick Generation panel or the Lipstick panel's methodology of ranking these songs. Uh, and for anyone who's wondering why I often mention Lipstick, it's because they're friends, they're a great band, they're really fun. And the previous episode was with one of the members, and their new single is, of <laughs> course, Eyes of Love, a cover of the Eric Carr song. So. If uh, you haven't checked out that episode yet, do, because uh, it's not just talking about non-KISS stuff. It's mainly KISS uh, content in that episode. So let's jump into our rankings. So for each one, each song from least favorite scores one point, most favorite or favorite scores 10 and in between 9876543321. You know, it's very easy. And then we add them up and we rank them. And there we go. There's our ranking. So let's go with KISS Asylum. In last place, 10th place, on five points. And I explained the points before. If it's under 10, it's usually pretty dire, even with just three people on the panel. We don't have Ken, the voice of reason, to tell us off for loving this album today. Not that he would, but uh, obviously as an Originals era fan, his outlook on these albums is a little bit different than us. Um, five points. I'm alive. Daniel. Well, actually, uh, I have this in uh, ninth place, but it could have been higher. Uh, I, I think it's a, a good song, but it's uh, a typical Paul Stanley 80s song. Uh, it's more similar to to the Crazy Nights stuff than the like good stuff from from have, uh, from Animal Eyes. So uh, to me, it's too much pop for my liking. But it sings fantastic, and uh, there are some good parts in the song. So I think it's still, for me, it's like, I would give it like a 6 or a 7 on a 10-point system. Uh, I still like it a lot, but Hmm. unfortunately, this record has so many good songs. So it ends up in, uh, there's just one song I think is is worse than this album. So I, I think it's a good song, but tough competition. Exactly. Mark, you agree with Daniel and have it in ninth place on yours, unless I got your list backwards again. Um, why? I don't, you got it right. I mean, I'll agree with Daniel in one way that this is a sort of typical Paul song. But for me, I find it typical in one way, because, well, I think in this era, Paul wrote a lot of the real classic songs. I mean, the 80s was pretty much saved by his writing. I mean, anyway, you look at it. But he has two groups of songs that he writes. He writes really cool, memorable, hooky songs like Tears Are Falling, Who Wants to Be Lonely, you know, uh, Crazy Nights, and all kinds of other songs he writes that are very catchy. And then he has this batch of songs that are just complete double kick, just really fast, upbeat stuff that's really, really fast, that's really kind of just, you know, paint-by-numbers sort of nothing fancy to them kind of songs. And this is what I'm Alive falls into to me. I think it's really, if there's a record in here, that I, uh, a song in here that I think is kind of a snoozer, uh, a skip, if there was a skip, it would be this one. I don't skip anything on this record, but 
I think this is the weakest song that he's written on this record. I, I just think that really it almost seems like a filler to me. It almost seems like they needed one more song and they just said, okay, well, we'll just do this one. Because really, I mean, if you compare this song to the other songs on this album, uh, I mean, there's one other one that's probably equally as weak, but the rest of his songs are just incredibly strong. But do you mean like this? You you think that, for example, uh, "Under the Gun" is a type of song? Yeah, I, has, I think again, yeah, it's like that sort of like. Uh, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't like, but I, don't get me wrong. He has upbeat songs that I like as well. Like "King of the Mountain" is is an incredible song, but that to me has a little bit more groove to it. It's not yeah. just like you know, you could, it's like mm. "Under the Gun" in that you can just get a drum machine and program sixteenth note kick drum pattern and a snare hit on every quarter note, and you have the exact same drum pattern for every song that he does with that. It's just, but, there's but, no but as long as you just have, it, you know? As long as you just have one of those songs on an album, I think there's a place for them. I can enjoy one yeah, song oh, like yeah. that on an album, as, as long as you don't have, like, three, four uh, that sound. Yeah. Like that. So well, I, like I, I like Under the Gun on Animal Eyes, and I kind of like this one as well. I like Under the Gun better. I think it's a bit more a cooler song. I think you, well, bo- like, you both touch on points that kind of come into my feelings about the song. Daniel, you nailed it, Under the Gun. It, I mean, this song starts out on the road uh, during the Animalized tour, so I, I could totally see Bruce, you know, who was playing the Under the Gun riff every night on stage, going, oh, let's do a little bit of a variation on that and change it up. And the, st- the song's kind of born there. I don't know if that's the case. But it's like Under the Gun, but no, no, no. It's just not that good. It, it To me, it does feel like Paul Stanley filler on this album. It's just a little bit flat. It lacks any really soaring dynamics. It's uh, The performance itself is fine. The guitar work is excellent. Um, I'm not going to say it's bad. It was my least favorite song on the album, yeah. scoring one point, simply because I think the rest of the material is simply better, or I enjoy it more. It's not that it's yeah. horrible. It's not read my body bad. But it, it's 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 a clone of Under the Gun to me. And it's like, well, Under the Gun to me is better than this. Therefore, uh, this offers nothing particularly new. And were Kiss ACDC than having Under the Gun and I'm Alive being basically that similar would be perfectly fine. But this is Kiss and it's just, you know, it's, it's just not quite there. And I think, Mark, you said it best. You know, we need one more song. Let's just do this. Yeah, so I, I mean, like I said, I don't think that it's, uh, it's not nothing, nothing on this record I would skip, seriously. But I'm saying if there was one, that would be probably the contender to be a skip. But it, you know, having one of these songs, I think you're right, Daniel. Having one of these type of songs per album is is fair, and it's, uh, you know, I think it'll appease a segment of of Kiss fans that like this stuff, like you, for example. You love this kind of stuff, so having it on every Kiss record makes sense. I mean. You know, you had like, uh, you know, you know, like you said, under the gun on animalized and stuff like that. So it, it makes sense to have it. So, but like I said, this is my favorite record. Nothing on here is terrible. Just like Julian said, it's just to me my least favorite song that Paul wrote on this record. There is a song I think that's much worse than this overall. And we'll get to that, I'm sure. No, it might be the next one up. So in ninth place on eight points, Radar for Zeppelin. I mean, Radar for Love. <laughs> yeah, um, you nailed it. <laughs> This one's kind of always been criticized as a Led Zeppelin clone. I don't think it's as bad as, say, a song from Kingdom Come's first album or Greta Van Fleet. Uh, Daniel, what are your thoughts on Radar for Love? 
I kind of like Greta Von Fleet, but but they are obviously trying to find their own sound. Hopefully, the next album will will be more original, and I, I think that there's something with that band. Uh, it's always fun to see a young band uh, emerging. Uh, so, but uh, Raider, Raider for Love was the one who I had in last, which I had in last place. Uh, simply because the reason that you said it's like a clone song. Um, it's it's uh, it's good to pay homage to your idols, but you shouldn't copy them. I mean, you need to add something, and I don't think he added enough. He sound he sounds great on the song, and it's kind of a cool rocker, but but it doesn't really sound like a Kiss song to me. It's more like a uh, trying to sound like another band, and that's never good. Uh, but um, I still, it's still a decent song. I mean, I would put it ahead of four or five songs on the Animalize album. Uh, yeah, the, the they, songs. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna say there'd all be yeah. gene songs you put it ahead yeah, of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I, uh, I had it in the last place. That's my least favorite. Yeah, Mark, you liked it somewhat more than that. I, I think it's you know what seventh uh, eighth eighth spot so um, yeah what do you think about it well i mean I, again it's this has you know certain things about it that one can point to like the the, the similarity to zeppelin and stuff like that in there and uh you know when when paul really like catches the nerve or the the essence of a song the songs turn out fantastic but sometimes I find that when he he'll he'll jump onto like a riff, and if he's not sure how to go about concluding that part of the song or to, like to make the song around it, it doesn't turn out to be some of his best. But this song I think is still catchy. It has a good chorus. Uh, the backing vocals are pretty good on it. I mean, there's nothing that he did production-wise that I don't like on this record. I think it's very good produced and well thought out. The arrangements are good. And again, it's not a bad song. Uh, I like it better than I'm Alive. That's for certain. I think it's more. it has more of what I like about Kiss songs, especially Paul's songs. I like the, when he's more uh, melodic and more groove-structured and more like riffy with his stuff, where, where it doesn't have to be so blistering. And that's funny coming from me, because I was a guy who was in a band who played thrash metal for like 10 years in a band. So uh, you would think that I would love all the double-kick stuff and you know that kind of thing and and i do but i mean in kiss for some reason i think paul connects better with more melodic riffs and more parts where he can display his melodic strength in his singing more i think when he when he's caught with doing something that's really fast and he doesn't have too much space to you know make a really you know excellent vocal i think he's more limited and it shows that way but this song i think it's it's better uh in that sense so i i think radar for love is not a bad song, but it's certainly not my favorite song. Yeah, I like it the most out of all of us, apparently. And I just never really got the Zeppelin connection. I, what? I no, no, I just was was. Are you deaf? No, because he didn't. He didn't try and rip off Plant's vocals yes. or styles. Oh. I I just thought that the song wasn't fully there, and I have it in seventh place. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. I mean, it's just kind yeah. of a, it's another throwaway Paul song to me. And that's really about it. I mean, again, I mentioned Kingdom Come, who are much more obvious on that first album. Mm. Go listen to the yeah. second one. Way better album. Um, 
So I never, I never got it, especially when Kingdom came out. It's like, that's a Zeppelin ripoff right there. Radar for Love, I'm like, eh, no. It's, it's not as obvious to me. Or to, I think it's in the arrangement, too. Right? To me back then. But it also yeah. doesn't really soar as a song. It's, it's a little bit oh. flat, and like I said, it's a, just a little bit of a fillerish to me, but it's perfectly fine, and it's way better than I'm Alive. For me. So, mm-hmm. For you. Yeah, for me. Let's move on. In eighth place on 12 points, Love's a Deadly Weapon. Oh. Let's see. Mark, we better start with you on this, as it's your least favorite song on the album. Yeah, um, I really don't like the song, and I'll and I'll be totally honest. I said I don't skip anything, and I don't skip anything on this album. But this is one of those ones where I kind of have to sit on my hands so I don't touch the remote in te- in urge of maybe skipping it. It's to me the thing that bothers me the most about it, and I think, and I'll be honest, maybe my ranking would have changed if I had never heard the other version of this song that they did around the elder sessions. If I never would have heard that original version of it, I probably would have ranked it higher because I really liked that earlier version of it. I think it was more groovy. It was more catchier. I think this is just, again, you know, them kind of trying to just cling on to some trends that were happening. Let's just put a double kick pattern behind this, make it a bit more faster and a more, way more upbeat, you know, and I think Gene thought that that would be the the answer to this song. I think he's incorrect. I think he should have just re-recorded it the way they did it in the earlier version. And I, for one, would have loved it much more than it. I, to me, this I, I think that's really what killed it for me. When, when, hearing the original version of this song, I think, is much superior to this. So when I heard this, I was like so disappointed in this version. I was like, ugh, what did they do to this song? And really, the beginning of this song, didn't they do the same thing, I think, on uh, Sonic Boom, I think there's a song that starts exactly the same way as this. So, but that's not a surprise because Gene's a you know master of rehashing his own material. So a compulsive recycler. Yeah, ex- exactly. So uh, I don't remember which song it was. I think it might be Russian Roulette or something like that. But one of them started exactly the same as this song. So that's another thing that kind of bugs me when he does that. But uh, you know. Again, it's not, you know, Read My Body, it's not Boomerang, or it's not anything like that, so I would never put it in that category. So, but, you know, to me, it's not my, it's my least favorite song on this record. Yeah, and as a complete contrast to your opinion, Daniel has this one pretty high up on your list, don't you? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but it's kind I'm of sorry, hard, can, you, can know? you say that, oh, yeah, again, a little bit more like Gene Simmons? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it that way, that's... If I, if I could, I would. But uh, I have two songs on this album that are wow. absolutely my favorites. And then from like the third one till the eighth one, they are pretty. I could move them around a lot. But um, I saw Mark's list before I did this one. I said, I need, I need to put this one high up because it needs more points. Because I really <laughs> like it. And uh, uh, I think because the reason why is... Uh, I uh, like the previous stuff he did on uh, Lick It Up. You know, Fits Like a Glove is kind of in the same vein like this one. Uh, Hard rocker, um, tempo, uh, and uh, uh, the way he attacks the vocals, you know, it's like he sounds angry almost. And I like it when it sings, sings like that. And also I like when he adds some of I mean, he's a great screamer, Gene, when, when, he, when he does it, but he doesn't do it very often. 
I really like the live videos of Fitz Like a Glove when he does the scream part, you know. He often skips it and let the audience do it. But uh, this is one of those songs. It reminds me of Fitz Like a Glove, which is probably my one of my absolute favorites on Lake It Up, maybe number one. So I think it's because of that I, I, I like this song. It's a similar song. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a angry vocals, screams, great tempo, a lot of drums, and uh, I like the solo as well on this one. But I do understand why people might not uh, like this as much as I do. But, but for a guy who likes fits like a glove, it's perfect song on Kiss album. Mm-hmm. I like this kind of song, a mean, angry Gene song on an album. So that's why I ranked it so high. It's yeah. like a glove, though, is a far superior song than this, I think. Yeah, it's better. But yeah, go on. It's in the same vein, don't you agree? It's, it's almost the yeah, same it, vein. Yeah, it, it's, it's a little yeah. bit like, uh, you know, I was yeah. describing with Under the Gun and I'm Alive. You know, they're kind yeah. of, you know, very similar in terms of uh, their structure. You both raised some excellent points that, you know, I ranked this, what was I, eighth on my list. And, you know, I it was never an, a song that grabbed me on the album. And like Mark mentioned, once I heard the Deadly Weapons demo, oh my goodness, that changed, that definitely changed my, and colored my opinion of the song. But what colored my opinion even more, so pushing it way down the list, was when I found out that it basically borrowed part of a Wendy O. Williams song, Party, for, mm. for the chorus. So that's where you get those additional songwriting credits on it. So I'm completely being balanced and rejudging my art my opinion of art from knowledge that deadly weapons i think is a great groovy song I imagine vinnie poncia producing that in like early 1981 because that predates bob ezrin's uh, appearance on the elder scene so that's a nice transitional song in itself it's all poppy and a little bit happy you know i mean it doesn't really fit the loves a deadly weapon loody doo dee doo um but then you take the wendy thing and you marry it all together and end up what it was. And it just plummets down my list because I think like Daniel, the middle of my list, and that's basically song two to song nine could all be interchangeable as well, because they're just that much a part of my kiss DNA that I do like the vast majority of them. So my list will be different tomorrow for sure. My list would be different in an hour after listening to the album again after this show. But I think those are the kind of the things that affected me the most on it. It, it was just the knowledge. Bruce's guitar work on this song is probably a high point on the album for me after all I've just said about that and it was back there 14 year old me was wow that is some sick guitar playing just crisp and I I have no problem saying that I love it in fact musically it's a great churning and driving rocker um as as a song it's a great kiss song but you know, the lyrics and the, the vocal just don't really hold up. And I hate that part where Gene does the scream and it like fades rather than naturally petering out into gargling barbed wire. <laughs> I, I just don't like that effect that's kind of put on it. It doesn't seem yeah. right. It's like someone silencing Gene, the guy twisting so, the knobs. So, Julian, for you, like Domino, if you ever liked that, did you like it like it less when you heard the version done by who was the other band who actually did the Silent song? Rage. Yeah, Silent <laughs> Rage. Oh, like Do- Domino. Yeah, wasn't it Domino? And Silent Rage had a 
almost similar. Well, it was na- it was uh, nasty, nasty by Black and Blue first, and but. yeah, and it was maybe uh, I don't remember which the other band was, but but there's a version from another band. And it's very similar. Yeah, isn't there one where where he sings over a band playing it? Remember? Yeah, that was the demo on the box set. So yeah, but the the first one was nasty, nasty on on the same album. Yeah, that's a Mayday's band. Yeah, so 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 that. If you if you listen to a Kiss song and you find out like King of the Nighttime World, mm-hmm. is there a problem for you with that song because there's another version? I don't. To me, it doesn't really matter. It it does, and you you've got me. I mean, for the same reasons that when I went back after Domino and listened to Black and Blue, I gave them more of a listen because of the connection okay. with the Gene yeah. stuff, and then started to like them more than I ever had when they were pimping their stuff on MTV. So it was it, it works both ways in, okay. in in my head anyway. Um, All right. Maybe it legitimized black and blue. I mean, go figure that sentence out. Legitimized <laughs> black and blue. Um, <laughs> and that certainly happened in recent years with The Vault, when Suspicious, mm-hmm. Gene's vocal of that, made me go back again. I was like, holy crap. There's, then I started hearing elder riffs and all, and that's the great thing about music. You don't have to think yeah. the same thing about it as a 14 year old, a 16 year old, 18, 40 something, you know, your opinions are allowed to change and your, their opinions. So they're never wrong. They could be misinformed, but they're never wrong. All right, let's let's move on because this can easily become a three-hour asylum <laughs> show. In which case, everyone will want medication. In sixth place on fifteen point. Oh, I'm gonna skip one, aren't I? Seventh place on thirteen points. Secretly cruel. So you got you. I mean, you guys are tied on this one again, Daniel. Let's start with you. Another great Gene rocker, uh, and it sounds like classic Gene to me to my ears. This one could be recorded in the 70s. Uh, but those type of songs that he did on the albums in the 70s, you know, like Love and Leave em and, and that kind of stuff, they were never really my favorites, but um, they're still good. And this is one of those. I like it a lot, but uh, it's not a standout for me, a uh, standout song. Uh, but uh, great vocals, uh, cool riff, and... Uh, at times, I have a hard time <coughs> telling the difference between some of the Gene songs. I like the groove on all of them, and I think they're quite similar, like uh, Trial by Fire, Secretly, Cruel, and uh, uh, what's the name? Anyway, you slice it to, to some degree. Uh, kind of similar, and, and I, I just listen, because this is an album where I never skipped this. Yeah, that's a, the one. We all like the, the version they did that... What, what was the name of that band? Double Virgo? Yeah, Double Virgo. Uh, and actually, I think many fans like the songs because of that video, because they needed help to understand that it's actually sounded like a 70s Kiss song. So if you haven't checked out the Double Virgo version, it's up on YouTube and you should go and watch it, especially if you're a, if you're a original era fan and you hate Asylum. You should watch that video and then you will understand. Yeah. So uh, to me, it's a good one. I had it in uh, seventh place. Secretly cool. Yep. It was the same with Mark. And Mark, thanks for showing that video of Double Virgo. Um, you you ranked this the same in your list as as Daniel. Why? Um, I, I like the song. Like Daniel said, there's a lot of things in this that are very Gene-esque. Uh, like that whole, his lyrics especially I find are, 
very classic gene you know you had my picture on your wall and this and that and that's kind of almost like a throwback to the 70s in that sense right um the production and the way this is made is very of the time of the 80s and it sounds great uh but you can hear little little inklings of his you know 70s past in there with with the way that he wrote the song i mean you could easily have done what double virgo did and obviously they showed that if you take a different approach to the whole production and performance of the song, you can turn this into a 70s style song. And I'll tell you, when I watched this video the first time, the double Virgo one, I, I, at first I found it humorous because, it, you know, the way they dressed up and everything, it, it looked hilarious. Like, But I thought they did a great job in their reinterpretation of the song. And actually, I think in a small way, they made me actually like the song more because it made me kind of, take a more an analytical look at the song because I was thinking, Hey, this sounds really good. How much of the actual eighties version of it did they actually keep in mind when they did this? And what did they, you know what I mean? I kind of looked at it like, what did they flip flop and what did they change in this version? And in doing that, it made me kind of appreciate the song that much more. And I, I think it's good. All the things that are, that are strong in here, they accentuated in the double Virgo version, like the, uh, the chorus example is a great example of it. The the chorus is very well done and how they throw in the piano in their version is typical gene. It's just a throwback to Christine 16 and stuff like that. Right. But yeah, it's a, it's a good song. I think it's one of Gene's uh, stronger songs on this album. And I think that if he would have maybe went with his instinct in throwing in a little bit more of his 70s style, it would have been a little bit better than what it is, but I think it's a pretty good song. You know, what's so funny is we've been talking about how other versions of songs have affected our opinions of songs. And this is a prime example going in the other direction. I dislike the strong song, uh, dislike the song strongly in 1985. Uh, I was not a fan of it. Double Virgo changed my whole opinion of it by re interpreting it and making it more of a 70s song. All of a sudden I'm left critically having to analyze why i like one version and not the rest and mark you touched on it with some of those uh lyrics really being stuff that gene could easily have written in the 1970s so i I had it in six i like it the most out of us again it's the middle of the pack now so it really doesn't mean much of where any of these songs are placed but i also want to mention the demo um you know, Gene included it on his vault, a different version than the demo that circulated for many years, which has a guitar solo. So that was something I've just recently noticed. I was listening to all this stuff um, going, wait, what happened to the solo on Gene's one? Did they cut and paste it so they didn't have to pay someone? Um, <laughs> so, you know, again, a very cool demo that circulated for a long time and slightly better quality than the rest of the demos from that era. You know, go go dig that one up because, you know, Give the the double Virgo version a, a listen, and that I think may be my all-time favorite Kiss cover performed by anyone, because the video work itself was just so fun and quirky. You know, it, the interpretation was excellent, and the execution and production on that uh, just absolutely knocked it out of the park. So I'm not talking about Kiss here; I'm talking about Double V. Well done, all these years on, all these times we've mentioned that on this show, and it continues to get mentioned because it is that good. So I, I think it's a great Kiss song. It's a traditional Kiss song, on probably on the wrong album because it had been around for a while. So so there you go. 
All right, let's move on and uh, ramp up the the speed on these a little. Um, in sixth place, on 15 points, any way you slice it. So like the other, like Secretly Cruel, those demos from Gene circulated for a very long time. You know, I, I just find that not to be, you know, the the worst of Gene. It's way better than anything on Animal Eyes. Um, I overall like the song. And where do I have it? I mean, I have it in ninth. Um and it's down there because of the drum effects uh, that are put on during the break section towards the end of the song. I mean, it's like hitting a wet synth pad. Just it's <laughs> like a an electronic-y splat uh, that I just don't find orally. And that's a u r, not o r, um, appealing <laughs> in any sense, and it it just ruins what otherwise is a decent enough song for me. So it's strictly because of that, Mark. Um, where did you have this on yours? Five. Yeah, in the middle. Yeah, I I actually like this song quite a bit, and all my instinct would tell me normally that I probably wouldn't like this kind of a song, but I think two things <clears throat> two things happen. I promise I'll make this quicker, Julian. Is that any way you slice it has the advantage of coming after a fantastic opening song, and after you listen to something like King of the Mountain, you're all hyped and geared up, and then all of a sudden this kicks in with a dun 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 dun, dun and you're still on that high from the song before, and you're like, hey, this is pretty, this is pretty good, you know, you're still into it. I think almost from the aftermath of being like stunned by such an opener as King of the Mountain, so I think that that helped the effect of the song with me at least. That when I heard it after King of the Mountain, I was like, wow, this is pretty good. And it, it was good. There's a lot of things in it, again, that are very Gene-centric in it. And I especially love that ending, that whole Mommy's Little Girl bit with that whole lead thing at the end. Da, 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 that bluesy tag at the end. I think it's fantastic. I think that's a great ending to the song. And one of his best anymore that he's ever done on record, for sure. So I, I love that whole thing about it. So I, I rated it pretty high. Yeah, and Daniel rated it the best out of us. Yeah, probably because it's another one of these uh, fits like a glove type of songs. Uh, Up-tempo, uh, aggressive singing. And, and I also like, like Mark said, the ending is kind of cool and uh, uh, you don't see it coming. Mm. Uh, but I don't know. Before he wrote lyrics to this album, he must have looked up, uh, you know, any way you slice it, try by fire. What's that called in English? It's like um, the type of any way you slice it um, and and uh, try by fire. It's um, what's it? Called? What's the word in English? Cliches. It's like n- n- no, not really cliches, but uh, um, ah, can't find the word. Um, but uh, uh, Similar, but, yeah, that's it. That's it. Similar or something like that. Yeah, it's. Uh, it seems like he had like a one of those books and looked through it and picked out song titles from that one. Ah, trial by fire. That sounds cool. And, well, he and did he have. Was, he, so, he probably had his song titles book that he just went through. Which yeah, was, but you can have a, a, a book thesaurus. with those similes, and you can you can oh, find synony- synonyms. No, not synonyms. It's, I have to look Similes, it up. Yeah, similes. It's another type of thing. <laughs> I have to look it up uh, when I have some time here. Uh, but uh, but uh, it's a cool song. I really like it. And um, another one of Gene's great songs on this album. Yeah. Straight out of the thesaurus. Mm. 
with an exclamation. Yeah, trial by fire. I, you know, it, again, it's a, it's kind of a throwaway, but it, you know, it's not. It's middle of the pack for me. I actually like Gene's vocals on this one, so. Um, and I love. Anyway, the- you slice it. Yeah. Wait, which one are we? Anyone you slice? Anyway, you slice it. Oh, I jumped onto the next one. So sorry. Yeah. We'll we'll just go with that. You know, we're straight into um, in fifth place on 18th points. Uh, trial by fire, which I like. <laughs> there we go nice save badly saved no um I, I love gene's vocals on this song in particular but i also love the gang vocals on this one the most uh, of the songs on the album uh, it's just that so you know it's easily again it's right in the middle of my list um but it's a fun song it's the one i was also most disappointed with on the vault because he put the demo on and mm-hmm. he called it Trial by Fire when it's still clearly Live Fast, Die Young. Uh, it's the chorus on there. And I was just like, that really annoys me to this day. I, it's like, it's definitely not Trial by Fire yet. So um, that's just my little bit of pathetic kiss geek moment. <laughs> Daniel, uh, I'm going to go back to you on this one. Uh, you're middle of the road like me. Actually, we all are, but uh, you like it the least on your list today. Uh, which one are we talking about now? Trial yeah. by fire. Yeah, trial by fire. I'm looking up similes. <laughs> <laughs> a simile is a figure of speech that compares two different things in an interesting way. You know, trial by fire. Yeah. Uh, secretly, crew, and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, um, tr- um, tri- trial by fire. What's that one now? Trial by fire. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's another one. This one is kind of similar to to uh, Secretly Crew. Uh, has some of that 70s vibe to me. Uh, and uh, it's a cool rocker, and um, I think it fits the album perfectly. Uh, I don't know how Gene managed to come up with so many great songs for this album when you listen to what he did on Animalize. I mean, there are just a few few months in yeah, between I, I think he wasn't putting as much time into his and, acting roles yeah <laughs> uh, was post runaway and he didn't get any more acting jobs yeah but uh so it's kind of interesting because to me this is maybe his best uh, effort on on all the 80s albums uh, but uh, but on the previous one it was a disaster and um, there's a few good ones on, on Crazy Nights, but this was like the peak of his 80s production to me. And this is one that fits that uh, label. It's, it's a great song by Gene. I think he bounced back from how bad Animalize <clears throat> was. And certainly yeah. when you compare anything to his songs on Animalize, you can't say anything but really nice things about Gene because they're much more consistent on this album. I think it's probably his most consistent of the, you know, of the Kiss albums until Revenge. In terms of his contributions, they're the right ones, they're good ones, and they're also well well executed. Mark, your thoughts on Trial by Fire? Uh, this is my favorite Gene song on this record. Uh, I think the guitar riffs on here are great. The way it starts, it, what a great sounding guitar at that beginning. It's a, it sounds really good, especially on headphones when you crank it up, it sounds really good. Uh, I think Gene sings this really well i like his tone of voice how he sings this but the one thing that really surprised me about this song is that lyrically this sounds more like a paul stanley song than a gene simmons song it's very much that whole you can do it you know you only have one life to live it's very like you know self-help lyrics 
which is very much of Paul Stanley's era at this time, or, you know, his kind of way of singing or, or lyrical content. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting. It's almost like you made a bet with him saying, I can write a Paul song, watch, you know, and wrote this, you know. And then it's almost like Paul did the opposite thing and said, okay, I can write a Gene song and do I'm Alive, you know. So I, I just, I think that it's a great song. Everything about it, I like the melodies, the production, everything. I think it's Gene's best song on this record. I wish he would write more songs of this caliber. Yeah, nice. Everyone's getting to say some nice things about Gene in the 80s today, which is really cool. All right, let's move into fourth place on 20 points. Uh all nice. And 14-year-old me judges this much like now. It had a really nice video. Cute girls. Uh, Paul Stanley was really cool in the video. Bruce was cool in the video. Gene was there, too. Eric Carr banging away on the drums. I, I judge it purely by the visuals of that video's effect on me as a 14-year-old. Ooh, girls! Uh, cute girls, too. Twins! Um, it's good. Just I mean, it's just totally good, dumb, fun rock and roll. And I've got this in second place on my list, and I'll explain that all oh, afterward. Wow. On. Yeah, it's mm. my, my second most favorite Kiss song on this album. And again, I'll explain that afterwards. Daniel? I had it in uh, fifth place. Uh, and like you say, dumb rock and roll. But when you were a kid, it was easy to understand what it was talking about. And uh, you liked the concept. And uh, uh, I think it's a very groovy song, this one. I heard it with uh, that guy who I think he co-wrote it. Uh, Jean Beauvoir. Yeah, nice French uh, pronunciation there, yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw a live video with him, with him doing it pretty recently. At the uh, Indie Kiss Expo. I, had, I don't know where it was. But I, I had think... kittens when he did it. I absolutely went spastic. Yeah. It was hilarious. Yeah, and I... I, I, I still enjoyed it a lot. So, uh, of course, the, the lyrics are really, really stupid, and uh, the whole concept of that song is kind of dumb. But it's um, when you're a teenager, that's about the only thing you're thinking about. So, uh, um, to me, it's a, a fun song, it's really fun. And I wish they would have done it a few more times than they did live. I think it's... It's kind of similar to I just I just won a concept they did during a live three, but to me this is a much more fun song. Yeah, yeah, and you nailed one thing I didn't mention about it is the swagger of the song, and I must say yeah. Jean absolutely killed it. His vocals on that cover absolutely amazing. So well done on that, Mark. You're middle of the pack uh, like Daniel on this one. Yeah, um, again, this is a very uncomplicated song. Uh, the video definitely helps it in being memorable. I think that's what more people remember than maybe the actual song. I mean, how can you forget, you know, Paul Stanley in a, in a naval hat on, you know, and, you know, nurses pushing around, you know, beds with headlights on them and stuff. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable, especially as you're in that teenage years, you're like, this is everything that you've ever hoped for in a video and more. And like, it, and I remember, you know, I could just imagine my friends like shushing their younger brothers and sisters, like, shut up, shut up, kisses on. Cause he didn't want to be distracted when it's on, you know? Uh, but in, in the end, it is a very kind of cliche kind of lyric thing, but who cares? I mean, it's, it's fun. And I think the thing that makes it 
a smart song is that they put it at the end of the record. Great, great placement. I mean, a song like that deserves to be at the end. I think if you were to put this anywhere else in the record, it wouldn't have the same impact than it do- as it does at the end. The closer, it hits you over the head with a big party song, and that's the way it ends. And you're like, yeah, I, I want to hear this album again. Desmond Childs doing a album or live performance of the songs that he's uh, been a part of. I wonder if this is going to be on that set. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I can imagine. All right. In third place on 21 points, Who Wants to Be Lonely? Mark, straight Mm -hmm. to you. It's your favorite on the album. Yeah, and I've said it a hundred times. This, to me, is Paul Stanley's writing masterpiece it's the vocals are great the verse is fantastic i love what he does on the guitar the guitar playing in the verse parts it's fantastic those little picked out chords and stuff it's amazing uh the chorus is very strong it could be you know anybody else could have took it and made it sound very wordy and very jumbly but he just knows how to take these kind of lyrics and make them flow like water it's unbelievable how good he can do something like that and Again, the video aids it, I think. It's a memorable video. It may not be his best one, and there's a lot of neon, so wear sunglasses. You might hurt your eyes. But other than that, I think it's a very, very well-written song, and it shows to me why I think it was a wise move letting Paul produce this record and be at the helm of it. I think he did a great job. Yep. It would be hard not to agree with you. I could easily have this as my top pick. For me, it's third favorite song on the album again we come back to the 14 year old and the video you have fire you have paul shimmying in a neon gown down (laughs) some mechanical passageway with steam coming out and he's just cool as hell in that absolutely (laughs) ridiculous outfit and then you've got girls and showers and guitars Oh, 14-year-old me loves this song. In fact, still loves this song. It, it's just a great power battle. And when you go then you go back and look at the rest of the catalog then, you know, coming off Animalize. Animalize didn't have a song like this. Thrills in the Night was nowhere near kind of power ballad. Really, you know, great lyrics, great everything. So it had been, you know, a couple of years since A Million to One to have a soaring power ballad of this kind of caliber on this album is for me again early 1986 when that video came out um you know i was hook line and sink sinkered um from these videos yeah look how cool paul stanley is there my goodness oh and the falling into the uh swimming pool scene yep love it love it love it daniel yeah um, I, i still think he looks Way cooler in the Tears of Falling video, but that's just me. Uh, I think uh, this video is not on the same level as that one. This is a bit almost too much, even for a 14-year-old me, where I was even younger. But uh, uh, I also <laughs> like this song. I'd, I'd give it like 8 out of 10 points, but still I have it in 8th eighth place. Those lisping sounds are so hard to do when you're from Sweden. We don't have those in, in our language. I hate them. <laughs> Eighth. Oh. Okay. So, uh, um, uh, but the problem for me was always that was it a ballad or was it a rocker? Uh, I wanted it to be a rocker. 
really well, was. I didn't really. Yeah, but but I don't. I, I have a hard time with you know that romantic feel of the verse. Oh, you look good tonight, standing <laughs> there in your own world. I mean that romantic feel. Oh, uh, but to some it would be. They might say it's very dynamic because the verse and the chorus are so different. But to me. I didn't really like that romantic feel. I do love the chorus and I like the bridge, or whatever you call it, you know, diddly, 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 boom, ba 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 That's really cool. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. it's a great song, but but that says it all. This album is so good. I mean, if you give a song eight out of ten points, it's in the top three on almost every album. Mm. But this time, it's in eighth place. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think the dynamics that you mentioned, it, it's really, think of I Was Made For Loving You is a very similar construction oh, in, in those yeah. verses into the chorus on, on the dynamics. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. again, I, I could not measure it against that at the time, but um, definitely just a really, really, really good Paul Stanley song. All right, we're, now we've got separation in the points. is a jump up to the... Top two songs, and your people are probably just wondering what's number one. But here's number two on 25 points: King of Mountain. Oh. Daniel, straight back to you. Your favorite song? Yeah, on the yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. When it comes to any band, uh, it has it all: the cool drum intro by Eric Carr, uh, the menacing vocals by Paul, uh, the drumming on this song all through it, and I think really the remastered version of, of of this song do it justice i mean the the drums yeah that one that uh, mark is holding up is the best version i've heard because i think on the original version version the drums were kind of not up front you didn't hear it but on the remasters you hear the drums really well and that makes the song even better and of course bruce has a phenomenal soul on this one as well so everything on this song is perfect to me so I'm really disappointed it didn't get to number one, but I'll take second place. Sorry, that's probably my fault. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Mark, you have this in third place on your list. Yeah. Um, again, to me, I've said it numerous times, I think this is one of the best opening songs that Kiss has ever put on an album. Uh, with that said, I, ha- I still had to go with my songwriter instinct as to what i think was better than that i still think there were two songs better songwriting wise impact wise maybe not i think this one like daniel said has a fantastic drum intro i mean that immediately grabs you when you first hear eric doing that and that drum beat right off the bat right off the top when he's after he does the hi-hat counting fantastic and the whole song is great I mean, it was so well done on guitar that Bruce Kulick actually did a whole guitar lesson segment in his video that he did when he did one of those instructional guitar videos. And he broke down that whole middle part and showed you how to play it. I mean, that's how impactful that was. It's it's a great song. Paul sings it really well. Um, one of the things I'm really surprised about is that they didn't play this more often. I mean, a lot of the times they would play their openers on tour. You know what I mean? And I don't think that uh, did they ever even play King of the Mountain live? I mean, maybe yeah. they did, but yeah, they did. But but I mean, it, it would have been it would have been great to have heard it, heard it more recently. You know, I know it's a little out of range now for Paul, but you know, I'm even saying like even in the 2000s, sometime earlier on, maybe he could they could have pulled it out and did it. But 
you know, uh, I, I think it's, thing, it's the same thing as the opener on Animal Eyes, one of the best songs on the album. And they only played it a few times. So I don't yeah. know, really know. It's the same pattern with, with that one. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, the, the same thing could be said for that song, too. I mean, it's a great song. Why didn't they do it more often? Why didn't they open the show with it? I mean, they could have at least opened the tour that they did, you know, the animal, animalized tour with it, you know. But, you know, it is what it is. They don't always make the best decisions, as we well know. But what you were talking about with the uh, drums not being up front, it's a very keen ear you have, Daniel, to, to point that out, because the production then and the mastering was very reverb-centric, and it's very much soaked in that reverb that made it very much of that time period. And I think when they remastered it, uh, they probably backed off on it, which would lead me to believe that the reverb was maybe added after mix in the mastering, which which could be done very often. Lots of times in mastering, people add in like, you know, reverb or they add in extra EQing and this and that to, to change up the sound a little bit. And it's not unheard of to put reverb in after the fact. So maybe that's what happened in the original and maybe in this time around, they they backed it off or maybe just put a heck of a lot less of it in there or a different one. And it just makes the drums stand, stand out that much better. I love this song. I think it should have been an opening song on the tour, especially, you know, just like on the previous album, you'd had Paul Stanley warming up his vocals, becoming the yodel for Heavens on Fire. On Asylum, mm. you have Eric Carr warming up his cannons. And that ends up as the intro to King of the Mountain, because that's all it was. It was him warming up, and they captured it on tape and said, that goes, that works, you know, we're going to use that. And imagine either that on, you know, I can understand trying to fit that into a set with the drum intro is difficult, which is why it would have to go at the beginning. And at that time, they were doing, what, Detroit Rock City, more than likely. Mm -hmm. uh, but you could have done that drum intro into the beginning of Detroit Rock City, um, you know, as, yeah. a, as a tease. Otherwise, it's awkward to try and fit into the set because you're stopping in between songs going, now you've got the big drum intro. So I can understand why it didn't last longer in the set. But it was fantastic live on the bootlegs that I was able to hear. I've got this ranked number four. Again, I'll get to that reason in, in a minute because it really is by far the best song on the album in terms of all the dynamics. It's soaring guitars. It's bombastic drums. It's got a great bass line. And the Paul Stanley life-affirming vocals of I'm going to climb the mountain, I'm going to reach the top, I'm never going to stop. I mean, how much more fist-pumping can you get going with Paul Stanley's mantra for lifestyle um, than with this song? And, oh, there should have been a video for it. I mean, it really is yeah. good, uh, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they've not brought it back because it really is synonymous with Eric Carr, Little yeah. Caesar, that guy on the drums. I'm sure Eric Singer would do it justice, no problem whatsoever, but I'm glad they don't. Mm -hmm. All right, it's obvious number one is Tears Are Falling. Um, let's see who did not have that. Well, you're, you, get, you two are tied again. So, Mark, let's start with you on Tears Are Falling. Um, again, this this is one of those songs where uh, we've heard it a lot. Maybe we've heard it too much. Uh, if there's any song off this record that's maybe been overplayed, it would be probably this one uh, because it was played a lot on radio as well as on MTV, at least around where I live. Uh, if they if were playing songs from that period, it would be probably this song. Uh, I really think that Paul Stanley really had one of those moments you know, the, those moments that he talks about when you hear him in interviews where he says that he's sitting in his 
apartment in New York City, and all of a sudden he starts playing his guitar, and something comes to him, and he sits down and writes out a fantastic masterpiece like this. Again, I mean, it's it's a completely Paul Stanley credited song only, just him, I believe. So it just shows how much of a uh, you know an, an impact his riffs at that time came to him, and how much that worked as a songwriting part. He he really made the song very catchy i think that's the main thing about it i mean there are songs on this album that maybe are you know more hard hitting like king of the mountain or maybe there are songs on here that i find more melodically pleasing to me like who wants to be lonely but this song really uh captures everything it has a great guitar solo in it it has a great verse you know i mean i think if, if anything the guitar solo is one of the things that people always harken back to and say it's one of bruce's better constructed solos and it also goes to show how much confidence they had in bruce at that time it's his first record that they had of him you know as a full member and to give him almost a minute of time to solo over that that's showing some confidence in your guitar player so uh, i think that this song deserves to be as high up as it is no matter how many times we've heard this song it, it's a song that i don't get you know sick of hearing uh so i i think it deserves to be in the, in the position that it's in deserves to be in the end of the road set mm. amen uh, yeah um and it deserves to have bruce Kulick coming up on stage to join the band for that solo which he yeah. most recently did on one of his um his look back videos um and he explained the tuning is kind of weird on it as well i this is my number one pick simply for the fact that it is the video that caught my attention and made me a kiss fan It'll always be one of my top Kiss songs as a result of what it's led to, the joy and the pain as a Kiss fan. Um, but that video is just absolutely fantastic. As a, I love that stage. Mark's showing it right now on the screen for those of you who are watching. And the volcanoes, the swinging like Tarzan, the video screens that make no sense whatsoever, the swinging uh, bridge... Eric Carr, uh, just a monster, in, in, like with trees surrounding his drum kit. Paul jumping up and down with that BC Rich Warlock, I think it is. And then, of course, you do get the girl taste. Iron play. Bird. It, it wasn't an Iron Bird. Yeah. Yeah. So then you have 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 the love interest in there, the the, the girl. So tastefully, you know, integrated yeah. into the. It's not gratuitous in any way. It matches the tone of the song. I mean, someone, one of you called it a power basher. It's not a basher in any sense of the word. It's just pop rock perfection, uh, like tomorrow. It's just one of Paul Stanley's greatest songs that he needs to be remembered by and for. And yeah. Daniel, your number two pick. Yeah, it was my second. It was in second place, and uh, I think it was the th- third time in a row he managed to do something that was really special. First off, you had "Lick It Up." We don't really know how, mu- how much Vinny Vincent did on that song, but 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 "Lick It Up," "Heavens on Fire," and "Tears Are Falling" are like um, sister songs, you know. Uh, as Mark said, very catchy, but also extremely simple when it comes to mm. the rhythm guitar, for example. Mm. Extremely simple, but still it works. And that uh, formula worked for Paul during these year, years very well. Lick it up, heavens on fire, uh, tears are falling, and to a lesser extent, crazy nights maybe. But uh, 
to me, as you said, Julian, it, it was my one of the biggest things that made me a KISS fan. And as you said, this video um, is pretty um, in tone with, with, with the lyrics and uh, uh, the girls fee- the girls aren't like overexposed in the videos, yeah. which I feel in the other two videos, it's too, a bit too much. It doesn't really work as well, at least now when you're an adult. But uh, uh, so I think this video still to this day is great. There are a few bad things in the video, like when Bruce is playing that phenomenal solo, that great solo. He does something with his hand. Yeah, and it's it's you can see it's fake. Like he's mm. he, he switches positions and it doesn't uh, go along with with the. the so uh, I never understood why he did it. Probably because Eddie Van Halen was the go-to guy at this time, and he tried to look even cooler some way. Or, and also or, the way- or a director shouting him, "Hey Bruce, can you make that yeah, look more interesting?" Yeah. He didn't need to do that. It looked cool anyway, and the way he falls into the water looks. It comes up from the water, but you you understand immediately that they're just playing like the tape backwards. But other than those two things, I think that video is awesome and the song is great. And I can take this being the number one pick on Asylum. It's uh, one of the absolute best songs on the album. Yeah, so my top four picks were Tears Are Falling, Uh All Night, Who Wants to Be Lonely, and then King of the Mountain. That's the order of the videos coming out, followed by the first song on the album because that really sums yeah. up my my asylum experience. Uh, we've talked about the songs, the videos. There were three made for this album, Tears Are Falling, uh, All Night, and Who Wants to Be Lonely. Which is your favorite and why? And Daniel, I'll go straight back to you on that. Yeah, I, I've already said it. Tears Are Falling yeah. is way better than the other two. But back in the day? Tears Are Falling, it was, all the way. It, it was as yeah, well. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I know what you were saying now. You know, that It's kind of a more mature way of looking at these yeah. videos artistically. Yeah, but I, I do see why... Young kids, at least young boys, like the other two as much. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mark, which is uh, your favorite of these? Uh, well, I think I said before that my favorite video has got to be "Who Wants to Be Lonely." I think it's the one that caught me when when they came out. I think I, the funny thing is I saw this one before I saw "Tears Are Falling," which is sort of odd. Uh, because I saw it on really late night on Much Music here. One night I came home and then they put it on. And I was like, wow, like I, I just caught it and I hadn't seen Tears Are Falling yet. So maybe if I would have saw that beforehand, maybe it would have been the other way around. But it was who, who wants to be lonely? I thought I was going to say oh, all nine just because of its effect on me at 14. But I think the enthusiasm, which I just kind of uh, expressed over Tears Are Falling in describing, you know, why I like that song so much just makes it clear that I got to go with Tears Are Falling is my favorite of those three videos as well. Four songs were performed live from this album, and obviously we've had the benefit of bootlegs because I didn't see the tour. Um, King of the Mountain, Any Way You Slice It, Tears Are Falling, and uh, All Night were all performed live. Which one of those, you know, from the bootlegs that maybe you've heard or what you think about they might be like live in concert, would be your favorite pick of uh, of those songs performed live? Mark? Um, I've always loved Tears Are Falling when they do it live. Um it's one of those songs that, uh, as easy as it's, it seems, and I mean, I know Daniel mentioned that the rhythm guitar playing is very simple, and it, it is. It's not a difficult song to do. But there's something about the pacing of this song and something about the vocals and the harmony vocals and stuff like that 
that make it difficult to nail. I remember there was a really good bootleg of it out there. I think it was probably around a live three period where Paul was saying, okay, we're going to try this out tonight. If we do it good, maybe it'll go on the album, which kind of leads you to believe right there that this is not a song that they can probably nail to their, you know, liking on a, on a nightly basis because maybe the harmonies are hard for them to sing properly. Maybe something about it, maybe they play it too quickly and it doesn't sound right when they listen back to it. I mean, there's something about that song that needs to be done to make it sound perfect. But I've always loved the song live. Daniel, how about you? Yeah, it's the same for me. I love the versions that they did on the Hot in the Shade tour. Uh, you know, with the, every car on the drums there, and uh, was like those versions. And maybe too, uh, I maybe I, I even like the versions they did with Eric Singer even better. I think there's a great version from I think it's Tokyo '95, which is like awesome. Uh, you have to go and listen to that one if you haven't. Uh, but the Hall in the Shade version and the uh, the '95 versions are they are awesome. And I think they nailed it quite a few times live. But but I get what you're saying. There's a strange pace to to the song. Uh, I don't know what it is, but there's something that's hard to to play live. And in the '80s they tend the, to play a little bit too fast. But this is a song that doesn't it doesn't really work if you play it fast you need to have the patience to to slow it down and you need to believe that you can still get away with it even though everyone every band around you is playing fast so yeah. if they speed this one up it doesn't work so that's a great point by, by you mark yeah yeah i'm gonna agree with both of you i mean i think tears are falling i was thrilled when they did it in the uh, las vegas residency and i got yeah. to hear it live i can't remember if i'd heard yeah. it before then anywhere but that's where it stands out in my mind because i was sitting there in the audience go paul is still bringing it on this song that i love that means so much to me um again with everything i've kind of expressed you can understand why i'd be just sitting there in an audience ready to kind of explode and go all spongebob rainbows um <laughs> there, there is nothing bad going on in the world for those four minutes and 35 seconds or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, Tommy did a great job on the guitar that night. It's one of the Bruce solos that I think he does a very good job on, um, in particular, because I know I've said he can't do stuff like Unholy very well for my taste, but he absolutely does a great job of that and hide your heart, obviously. Um, for the songs that weren't performed on the, um, live from the album, what do you think should have been done from the album live that you think would have worked really well, Mark? Um, well, you did mention that they do, that they did do, uh, King of the Mountain. That would be one, but, uh, one that I heard or uh, in my research, and I think, you know, of course, having the research master, Julian Gill with us, you can, you can definitely point out if I'm incorrect here, but, any way you slice it, that's one song I really thought I would love to hear them play. But didn't they play it like twice or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that that just made it for a couple of performances. I don't have my notes in front of me, but off the top of my head, I think it got two or three. Um, yeah, because that's one song I would love to have heard them do uh, more often live. Because I mean, it's such a simple kind of twelve barish kind of concept of how they play. Like you know, it's just a straight A chord and a couple of riffs here and there. I think it would go across live really well. I, I wish that that would have been one song that they would have done more often. Yeah, that, that's that's a that's you know it's it's a fun pick, a good pick. I can't remember if Gene did any of that uh, during his solo tour, and I'm just of course Microsoft Office is shit. Um, just trying to pull up my list here. 
Oh, come on. It's only an 890-page book. Can you scroll through faster? Yeah, anyway, you slice it. Uh, first performed live November 29th, 1985. Uh, performed only once and then dropped. And uh, oh. I'll probably have some dude called Kurt or Jeff on line three in a second uh, correcting me if I was wrong. Uh, but whatever. It, it wasn't frequently done. I think that's the point. Daniel, what about you from the album that was or, you know, what, what do you think should have been online? Yeah, I, I like that pick as well. Uh, Love's a Deadly Weapon. Or... Uh, anyway you slice it because uh, uh, maybe that had to because at this point in time they played Fits Like a Glove live but they could alter Fits Like a Glove with any of those two songs I think it, it uh, fills the same purpose uh, so Love's a Deadly Weapon or Anyway You Slice it would go would be like that up-tempo rocker for Yeen I think any of those songs would work yeah no. I'm going to think outside the box a little bit. I would have loved to have heard I'm Alive. It was my least favorite song on the album, so I'm just stretching here hoping that I'd like it a lot more live than on, yeah. on the album, maybe being one of those songs that would have worked out better. Uh, but who knows? All right, let's leave it there. Here's a recap of our of uh, the KISS FAQ panel's ranking of KISS Asylum from least favorite. 10th place, I'm Alive. 9th, Radar for Love. 8th place, Loves a Deadly Weapon. Seventh, Secretly Cruel. Sixth, Any Way You Slice It. Fifth, Trial by Fire. Fourth, uh, All Night. Third, Who Wants to Be Lonely. Second place, King of the Mountain. And our winner on 28 points, actually clear winner, Tears Are Falling. So what do you think of this album? You know, it, we don't often do 90-minute shows, but this one oh. just wasn't one that I could edit back and kind of yeah. not just talk about, especially with all the stuff we talked about at the top. Um, yeah. what, what is your favorite song on Kiss Asylum? Do you think this album is unfairly judged by many Kiss fans because of the album art, which is actually pretty atrocious? Um, there's there's no denying it. As much as I may have walked around Dated. with it. Yeah. Well, I may have walked around it... Yeah, with it as it the back cool patch on my jean jacket. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, come on, it really wasn't quite as good. It was a marked improvement on just the animal rugs thrown on a photographer's floor for animal eyes. <laughs> yeah. Or three guys on a mannequin for lick it up. But yeah. it, it certainly wasn't great. Um, so do you think it's unfairly judged? What do you think of our rankings? What's your favorite song from... Kiss Asylum, which song from Kiss Asylum would you have loved to have heard live, for those of you who are lucky enough to go to the tour? And also, I think let's throw this in here, because Bruce has done a great job keeping this era alive on the cruise. Which song do you think Bruce should do either a video recap of his solo or a section on on uh, on his Facebook? And I, I can think of a couple. I, I could actually just have Bruce just sit there all day with his guitar and play his solos from any of his Kiss albums and just explain them. I love it when he does those videos. All right, let's leave that there for now. Give us your thoughts on this album. Give us your thoughts on our picks. Tell us that we're wrong. That's fine. We don't mind. Tell us that we're idiots. That's fine. Or tell us that, well, you're a Closet Asylum fan too. You know, I, yeah. We don't mind changing your mind either by our enthusiasm and passion for this album. So for now, for yes. Mark... From Daniel and myself, thanks for joining us, and we shall see you next time. Bye. Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. 
Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.